Uh, now, my next guest says that the fine dining and food and beverage industry in South Africa is in dire need of transformation. Yeah, no kidding. She says there remains a lack of black representation at the head of South Africa's established fine dining rest- restaurants uh, and that uh, the absence of black faces continues across food publications and is also prevalent in the absence of traditional and indigenous foods on dining menus. Now, while this paints a bleak picture, the uh, people of colour at the table group is trying to change it. Uh, it's a coalition of chefs, food writers, food stylists, food and beverage personnel of colour who have one common goal, uh, and that is to decolonise the dine finding, uh, d- dine finding, the fine dining sector. And it's the brainchild of uh, food journalist and uh, chef Ishe Governor Ipma. Ishe, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi there, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much. I have a resolution already listening to Josh. Yes. <laughs> and that would be to muster a similar amount of enthusiasm at this hour. <laughs> right, I know, yeah. To be fair, though, Ishe, he would be forgiven because he is about nine hours behind in us. So, yeah, <laughs> he's in a different time zone completely. Listen, let's talk about this. I'm fascinated by this, and this follows on from a conversation, in fact, that you and I had uh, a few weeks ago at the launch mm-hmm. of uh, Mohao Seshweni's book, The Lazy Mac. Um, why yes. does the fine dining sector lack the transformation that so many industries have seen in South Africa over the past few years? So I think this is quite a deep and complex issue, and our analysis of it here, of course, is people can, who are listening can accept is going to be a little superficial. But uh, in summary, you know, I, I would say it's not just the fine dining. We can look from mid to fine dining because uh, if we look at the fast food market, that's definitely dominated by a black middle-class sector of the population. But if we just look at the stats and figures in terms of who is earning the money, uh, the South African SA Statistics uh, Living Conditions Report uh, 2017 definitely posted that, uh, you know, white households earn on average about 4.5 times higher than black African households. So if we look at who has the spending power in terms of uh, who's dining out, um, and then one step further, that also determines what appears on our menus. You mentioned earlier the, um, the lack of uh, indigenous food on the menus. And if we look at it in that frame, uh, we don't have black chefs uh, typically at the head of these restaurants. So they don't have the say necessarily that uh, you know, for this kind of food that they grew up with to appear on the menus. That is not to say that we expect black chefs to only um, you know, produce the food that they grew up with or to, you know, uh, sort of serve that nostalgia-bent kind of food. But that's a very simplistic uh, way of looking at what appears on the menu, and uh, it's being served for a certain type of patron. And the bottom line is, uh, at our mid-to-fine dining restaurants, we are serving a white clientele uh, who are also basing their taste on um, uh, what's determined on the international scene in terms of food trends. So essentially, we're we're allowing uh, we're allowing what's going on overseas to dictate what we do here in South Africa, um, and and I guess losing um, losing authenticity, losing um, the, a sense of what a sense of of yeah, I, defining what is South African cuisine. identity. You know, I have, yeah, I have this conversation so often with with visiting journalists who have you know four or five days here. Uh, usually less, and they want an experience of what it is to dine um, in to dine on South, South mm. African cuisine, mm. and they want it at that level as well. 
And so, you know, I do end up, I said, for the, the best examples you're going to find are in people's homes, are in townships. We cannot say that serving an ostrich fillet <laughs> or piece of uh, kudu or springbok mm. is the extent of South African cuisine. Absolutely. Or the smear of a tamarind chutney, uh, you know, an ode to the, the World Cup. Mm. Uh, I, wa- I want to say that while, you know, the, we're very, very, very far from re- representing South Africa on a plate, I think it's really, really important for particularly journalists, to focus on the stories that are positive and that, you know, I've, I've come to realize that sometimes the, the idea of success, the idea of where are these, actually, these South African food stories happening, they, perhaps they're not happening in the model uh, and in the format that we expect. Because to expect, uh, you know, black chefs to have the sort of capital uh, to become chef patrons and run their own restaurants uh, without investors, without you know, that kind of perhaps uh, family kind of uh, support and capital is reaching. And maybe what we need to do is to look at the stories of success. There are so many people within the industry, you know, who are uh, you know, perhaps publishing cookbooks that are uh, you know, published independently, running uh, uh, workshops, running uh, catering companies, and they're all successful chefs. Uh, I also want to uh, emphasize that we don't just look at chefs in this conversation. And it's very important to include the beverage industry, too. And there we have model examples of success when we think about the sommeliers uh, who uh, have come up the ranks and who are head sommeliers at some of the top restaurants, mm. and they are black. Yeah. Um, so these are the, the ty- these are the people who are also uh, going to be attending and running this, uh, this conference. Yeah, let's, so let's talk about the conference. It's happening on the 13th of, uh, of February. February uh, yes. what is, so what is this? It's, called, it's the first South African People of Colour at the Table conference. What is it? Who's yes. going to be there? What, what's it for? What are you hoping to achieve? So, you know, we have opened it to everybody, every person of colour who's in this industry, you know, photographers, stylists, uh, chefs, cooks, and to, the, to people of colour who are allies who support us. We're also ex- are extending it to members of the media. Because, and uh, what is going to happen is we're going to have a showcase of people discussing, debating. Um, it, it, it's about excellence, but more than that, it's also about community. It's not about a single person. There are several people who will be involved who, you know, the, the general public know them as stars. You know, they're probably the type of people that like, uh, like Zola Nene, like mm. Mikhail, who, you know, people line up around the corner for uh, an autograph. But... What we are doing is coming together as a collective, coming together to also show that uh, there is sufficient in, in space in this industry for many people to excel. And, uh, you know, we, we work on the premise that was set by Julia Tershin, who is a writer, and she said, you know, what if we set a longer table, not a higher fence? Hmm. And that is exactly what uh, uh, South African POC at the table stands for. It's really about making room. And one of the topics we... Oh, you know, we, we are going to look at, and I'm really looking forward to the speakers who, who will host this, and this is who will be our mentors in 2025. If you think about that, that's really around the corner. But if we're not willing to put that effort in now, if we're not willing to, you know, stand out as those mentors who are willing to give both time um, and, uh, you know, tips uh, to the youngsters, who's going to do it? 
when we look at transformation that's taken place in other sectors in in South Africa, and and still, you know, still a great deal of work needs to be done. Why do you think it is particularly then that the food and beverage industry um, has has still got so, some way to go. And that said, when when you go into into book bookstores, and I, and I'm looking at at at, at, uh, at cookbooks, recipe books, etc., mm. I am seeing more these days people who look like me, uh, and people mm. who perhaps look like me cooking food that, let's say, my father um, grew up on, and my father would be would be familiar with. That mm-hmm. said, there, there seems to be um, when when we talk about South African cuisine, and and particularly from from black fam from 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 black um black cuisine uh, if i can if i can use that phrase mm-hmm. it tends to be and you've mentioned this that when people want to come and taste taste that cuisine there's not a restaurant specifically that they can go to that's fine dining it te- they often tend to be novelty things like the you know the the bunny chow as a novelty or mapani worms as a novelty um rather than <laughs> rather than food that that would could be just is is being served in a fine dining setting with a sommelier coming to your table and pairing you know god forbid mm-hmm. <laughs> pairing traditional <laughs> authentic south african food um with yeah. with with south african wine you know i think so there are a couple of things there first of all you know i, I think there are several industries in uh, in this country that are lagging behind and i think uh, if we had to look at one thing we can pin it down to perhaps it was that the the um the falseness that is uh, the rainbow nation fallacy you know that people had to uh you know just simply fit in and get over and we were all one and so i think that also was a big distractor in terms of uh, real transformation and you know uh, it needs to be more than just diversity but also inclusion including relevant people training relevant people so then to answer your question about the in appearance of um, what's really our home cuisines. I grew up on all these things, you know, uh, say for the Mopani worms, I grew up on, you know, tripes and sheephead. Mm, and mm. So I'm very, you know, in my work as a food writer, I'm very comfortable with that. Somebody else, uh, a chef, um, mentioned to me today, how come, uh, you know, people will eat at a, there is a restaurant in Cape Town, for example, that is serving all the bits and has uh, a, a you know, great reputation, a great following. And how come when we serve it as a terrine, the, the sheep head, mm. that also will go into a terrine, uh, <laughs> it's so acceptable and you're willing to pay so much for it. It's really some of the cheapest bits. Yeah. But uh, the actual concept um, of the sheep head suddenly now becomes, oh, those people those eat people. that. Yeah. And you know, it, it has a smell or it's a disgusting smell. You know, we're very quick with that kind of thing. And I think it also boils down to who has agency and mm. who has the ability to, I wouldn't say dictate, but offer those menus. And I think the people who have the power to put these foods on the menu are the people who are running the restaurants. So if we don't have more people of color owning the restaurants, running the restaurants, having input, you know, on those menus, we're going to continue seeing this sort of, you know, uh, the trends from New York and London, and some of them are, are perfectly fine. We need to have restaurants like that too. But they can't, there has to be a space. I live for the day when we can have a, you know, a restaurant that's ranking very well in some of the world rate, world's ratings and is truly serving South African food. And we don't need to pigeonhole chef, our chefs and say, well, you're going to have to make it authentic to be whatever the dish is. 
you know. Um, it, it, it boils down to another conversation that happened amongst members of the group today about, you know, painting black folks with the same brush. And, you know, it, and also draw expectations of blackness, if I can take it there, mm. uh, put an unfair limit on creativity, you know. And that's something that I'm also really looking forward to seeing this panel discuss. Um, yeah, so, so that is that in a nutshell. I think it's time for a wake-up, and I also hope that this is a call for investors uh, to, you know, place, place the money on the table. And there are so many of these chefs in, in sous-chef positions who have not grown up eating internationally, but whose palates can be taught and who are hungry for it, you know, uh, to, to give them the chance. It's the same in, in, in all our industries. If we simply don't believe in training and mentorship and giving people an opportunity, then how else are they ever going to rise up the ranks? When you think about journalists who perhaps didn't grow up with the privilege of extensive libraries, you know, mm-hmm. um, and have to play catch-up. Uh, if they were never given a chance or didn't have an opportunity for an education or are not desperately catching up on their own salaries now, it's never going to happen. So I think as an industry, we need to pull together. We have a lot of successful chefs who are, you know, at the top of their game. And I hope that in addition to, to their various causes and in addition to concentrating on local uh, produce, they also go back um, you know, and think about what is the legacy we're going to leave. Are you prepared for backlash? Because there, when inevitably, whenever uh, people mention an event that is for black people or for people of color, somebody wants to pop their head up and say, but what about white people or what does people of yeah. color mean? Or that there's <laughs> an, an issue, an issue arises and has to be either ignored or dealt with. Or what will your response be? Because, because yeah. already I'm looking on Twitter and already people are asking, are asking questions. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I find that so incredibly interesting. I find it tiring because mm. it feels like we've had this conversation for, um, I mean, do you know, it's, it's three decades, virtually three decades since Nelson Mandela was released. Yeah. And I knew that argument would definitely be used uh, against us, like, you know, sort of get over it. And I, my counter would be show us the proof of where the transformation actually is, if that is the case. Mm. You know, I think that this is an event like this, if you look at the Ubuntu Book Festival, it was formed, uh, one of the founding statements um, is that it's a healing space. Yeah. You know, and I think a space like this conference can happen concurrently to what is happening in society at the moment. Because what's happening in society at the moment is one black woman on the board, mm. aka, you know, uh, diversity or transformation. Mm. Um, but so us having this space to First of all, to commune and to meet, because a lot of these people uh, who are attending and who will attend are you know, quite successful, quite busy. It, it's a wonderful opportunity for them to meet, congratulate each other, be together, you know, um, share the language that they speak. And at the same time, we're not taking away from anyone. This is not us excluding people. We are asking, rather, support us in this endeavor, support us to strengthen ourselves and to hear our voices together uh, in, in one room, uh, which, you know, it never happens. You're lucky if you have on any panel uh, you know, one black woman, perhaps one Indian or colored uh, man or woman, mm. and three, and generally three white men. And we're all fine for that. We're very grateful to be included. Uh, so what we're doing is not, we don't see it as excluding people, but rather hosting an event in which we can 
share, discuss and debate and also showcase this black excellence. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that, Ishay? Okay, so the uh, FAPSD at the Table group is a uh, closed Facebook group for obvious reasons because we would like to keep that quite a safe space, but mm. we are open for membership. The best way to get a, a hold of us at this moment is to send me a message via my website, which is simply ishegabinder.com, um, and I will respond from there. Great stuff. Fascinating stuff as well. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you so much.